Well, good morning. We're glad that you could join us for worship, and those of you who are joining us online, we'd like to welcome you as well. We're thankful that you could be part of our worship service this morning, and for those of you here in person, uh, we're glad that you could be here. We're glad that we could assemble together. Thank you for wearing your masks and doing all the social distancing stuff that we need to do so that we can have church together. Our series is called Unshakable, and we've been talking about faith. This is our third week on our series. If you remember uh, two weeks ago, Pastor Marty kicked it off and talked about how when our will relies on the promises of God's Word and on the promises of God, we have faith. And then last week we talked about how faith is one of those things that it's a private decision that's made between you and the Lord, but it's lived out publicly in your life. And it's lived out publicly each day as uh, we let God's light reflect to the world around us. And this week we're going to continue on in the series about faith and we're going to talk about legacy faith or faith that impacts our family, family faith. And the word legacy really is, it talks about in terms of how we will be remembered or how we pass on our faith to others. As we were sitting around and talking about this in our pastor's meeting this week, we were reminded of how over the past couple of years, we have seen some very prominent faith leaders fall away and damage their legacy. We've seen uh, evangelists and we've seen uh, guys that are over mega churches preaching to thousands and thousands of people and uh, pastors that are very missions and overseas focused have had these failures in their life and it's really damaged their legacy. And when we were talking about that and thinking about that, the questions come up like, why? What went wrong in their lives? What happened that these great leaders of faith in our time have had these failures? And could it be that we're not meant to do this faith journey alone? We're supposed to have accountability. We're supposed to have brothers and sisters in Christ that help hold us accountable for the way that we live out our faith. You know, it's the whole idea of groups and the whole idea of being a part of a larger body. You know, when we're not part of a larger accountability group, sometimes we isolate ourselves and then we insulate ourselves from the outside world and we move from a place of being Christ-centered to being in a place of being self-centered. And when we become self-centered, we're no longer relying on God. We're relying on our own abilities. We're relying on our own talents and our own skills rather than leaning back into our faith. All of these stories of these fallen leaders that we have seen, we know that the media loves to put those out there, but they should all have a flashing warning label for us. Don't let this happen to you. And when we talk about legacy faith and we talk about faith that we're passing on to our families... All of these families, all of our families can struggle for some of the same reasons. We're not meant to do this alone. The issues of life are hard. Raising a family is not easy. Being a child in the family is not easy. Being a teenager in a family is not easy. Being a parent is not easy. Being a single parent is not easy. Being a grandparent sometimes is not easy. But the body of Christ is meant to have community that holds one another up. It's why in the book of Proverbs, in Proverbs 27, 17, it says, As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. It's a way that we hold each other accountable. It's the way that we call each other out. It's the way that we have a community of faith that supports each other. 
especially when it comes to our legacy and the impact that we're leaving on our families and the impact that we're leaving on our friends and those around us? How do we not fall into these traps that others have fallen into when it comes to our legacy? Well, there are things that we need to talk about. There's things that we need to consider when we think about legacy faith and how it impacts the world around us. So the question needs to be asked as you're sitting here right now, what's your position in your family? Are you a parent? Are you a child? Are you a single person? Are you a grandparent? Regardless of your family structure and regardless of the dynamic that God has placed you in, there's a way that your faith can influence your family and influence those around you. Hebrews 11.6 reminds us, it says, And without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. See, there's a distinction being made right there. We can see the clear point that without faith, it is impossible to please, to please God. It's critical how we function in this life and how we live. And it's really important for those that are closest to us. The idea of this message would be our faith will impact our families or our legacies. If our faith is non-existent, then our family may try to lean on some other things in life. They may find something to replace that. If our, fa- if our faith is weak, it will impact our family because someone else may have to step up where we're weak. If our faith is strong, it will impact our families because they will be challenged to also have strong faith and live up to the faith of the one who is strong. All of these things are determined by how serious we're going to take our relationship with God. There's no distinction about family in that verse. It doesn't say whether you're married or whether you're single or whether you're a grandparent or a child. The distinction is without faith, it is impossible to please God. That's the distinction. I love the way when the Apostle Paul writes his letter to Timothy. Timothy was a young person that he left in charge of the church at Ephesus. And we know about the church in Ephesus if you know about the book of Ephesians in the New Testament. In the New Testament, the letter of Ephesians was written to the church in Ephesus. And Timothy was a protege of Paul's. And as they were on a missionary journey, Paul realized that the church in Ephesus needed some help. They needed some leadership. So he left Timothy behind. The one problem with Timothy is Timothy was very young, and although he was Paul's protege, Paul knew that that may be an issue for him because he was so young and he was leaving him to lead this church. But I love how he encourages him in 1 Timothy 4.12. He says this, he says, Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. This young protege that he has, Paul wants to encourage him in his faith, in the way that he lives. And if you're here today or you're watching online and you're a young person, you're in middle school or you're in high school or even if you're in elementary school, if you're a young person, you need to take this verse to heart. Because as Paul encourages Timothy, I want to encourage you in the same way. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. But be an example to other believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Even as a young person, you can have a great influence on others by living out your faith. Paul encourages Timothy, don't let these things slip up. 
You know, and as a young person, as a, as a high school student or, or as a middle school student, it's easy to just kind of rest back and say, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to stand up for any of these things now. I'll do this when I'm an adult. But the challenge is for you as a young person to stand out in these areas. I'm reminded um, years ago, back in 1991, between 91 and 92, Fellowship Alliance Chapel, we had a very exciting time here because we were doing a church plant in Pine Hill, New Jersey. There was a church that had kind of folded up its doors there, and we were going to reboot it under the Christian Missionary Alliance, under our denomination. It was going to be called Hope Chapel. We had a pastor, Bob Riconda, from our congregation who stepped up and wanted to be the senior pastor there, and they were asking for volunteers to go for the first year and help this church get going. And I had the opportunity, I volunteered to start running the youth group there. I was going to be the first youth pastor at this new Hope Chapel. And as we got all the planning together and we got together, we launched the church. It was a great time. We launched, we had a whole bunch of people come out. And in the youth group, we wound up with probably about 10 to 12 kids. Uh, it was great. I had a few other leaders that helped me, and we were running regular youth group every single week out at the church. And I remember we had all kinds of different kids coming out. And this one kid, this one girl who kept coming out the youth group, she was probably about 14 years old. And as she was coming out the youth group, I noticed that I never really saw her on Sunday. I only saw her at youth group. And as I got to know her a little bit more through the years, I, I came to understand that she was living in a home where they had lost their father. And her mom was raising these kids as a single mom. And one week she said, hey, would you come over to my house and, and have dinner with us? So I went over to their house to have dinner and to get to know the family. And I heard a little bit of their story. And she had a sister and she had a brother. And this 14-year-old girl who was an example to her family in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity, led her family to start coming out to church on Sunday led her sister and led her brother to come out to church on Sunday where they found the Lord, led her mom out to church on Sunday where she found the Lord. This family that had been so desperate for something to cling on to were led back to the Lord by their 14-year-old daughter. Listen, let no one look down on you because you are young, but be an example to other believers. Young people here, you can do that. It's not just a message for those that are young, but it's a message that we need to take to heart too as adults. Are we being an example to others in our speech, in our conduct, in the way that we interact with other people, in the way that we love one another, in our faith, in our purity? That's the call that Paul puts on to Timothy, says, be an example in these things so that people will see your faith and see what you lean on. When we talk about legacy faith and we talk about faith with our families, we want to take another look into the book of Hebrews. Hebrews is such a powerful book in the book of Hebrews 11 because it reminds us of these great pillars of faith and how they had a legacy of faith. The one thing that I love when I read through Hebrews is the, the uh, time difference between the book of Genesis and the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. There's hundreds of years that go by but yet these people are still remembered for their faith. There's a legacy attached to their faith, and it's the same legacy that we want to have. So if you have your Bibles or your apps, open up to Hebrews 11. We're going to be back here, and we're going to look at the life of Abraham. 
We looked at him a little bit over the last couple weeks, but we want to see a picture of someone who took his faith seriously and someone who took the faith, the legacy that he was leaving to his family unit seriously. Point number one in the outline is be authentic with your faith. We need to have an authenticity to our faith, our faith that others can see. Follow along as I read in Hebrews 11, starting in verse 17. It says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and who he had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. But by faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. And by faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. We see this picture once again of Abraham, who is credited with being a great pillar of faith. And it starts off by, by saying, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And when we look at the story of Abraham, we know that God had put him through this test of faith. But I think to get the real context of Hebrews 11 and really understand what we're talking about, we need to go back to Genesis. We need to look back at the story of what God had called him to. So let's look back at Genesis 22 so that we can get a complete picture of exactly what was going on and and what Hebrews means when it says, by faith, Abraham was tested. In Genesis 22, starting with verse 9, it says, When they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted his eyes and looked and behold, a ram was caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mountain of the Lord, it shall be provided. We see a story of Abraham being tested in his faith. God had told Abraham, I want you to take your son Isaac and you're going to offer him up to me. You see, in the Old Testament days, the Messiah had not yet come. There wasn't the perfect sacrifice to atone for all the sins of the world. In the Old Testament, they were still doing sacrifices to the Lord. They would sacrifice rams. They would sacrifice animals. They would sacrifice these burnt offerings to atone and make a right relationship between themselves and God. And God calls this great pillar of faith, Abraham, and says, Abraham, I want to make sure that your faith is with me, and I want you to offer up Isaac, your son. How in the world could Abraham do this? You know, sometimes we read these stories and we don't really take in the true grasp of what's happening. I can't even imagine, and you probably can't either. But in this very authentic way, a man who is not perfect listens and follows the instructions from God. And he does this by faith. It doesn't make sense. It shouldn't be like this. God shouldn't require my son. But God has a plan and I will follow it. 
That verse started off in Hebrews by saying, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested. You and I get tested all the time in our lives. You know, I, um, I have been married 26 years. I have two daughters. I have a daughter who is 22 and another daughter who is 16. Um, let's, let's be honest here. I don't win too many arguments in my house. Okay? That's, it's, it just doesn't always go my way over there. You know, sometimes um, they get the better of me. There's no question. Pastor Marty laughs at me because he raised three daughters, and every time I complain about anything, he just shakes his head and says, Rookie, you know, you'll learn. And, you know, these guys, one time I came home and I caught them. They, they were uh, using my, my barbecue stuff. They were going to fish something out of the toilet with that. And I said, No, 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 you're not putting that in there. And I remember their response to me was, Imagine what we do when you're not here. And I've never felt safe in my house since that moment. My family knows that I'm not perfect. And I know that my family's not perfect. We all know that about each other. But if we're going to live out our faith in an authentic way, we need to be able to apologize to one another. We need to be able to call each other out. We need to end the silent treatment by somebody being the bigger person and stepping up and saying, hey, I was wrong. I said something I shouldn't have said. I did something that I shouldn't have said. I acted in a way I shouldn't have acted. If we're going to have an authentic legacy faith in our families, we need to act in a way that is authentic, not act like we're perfect people. They need to see that authenticity in us. They need to see that when we don't have all the answers in life, that we lean back into our faith. Our families need to see that. As a dad, there's, there's no greater payoff for me than when one of my daughters says to me at night, hey, are we going to say prayers before we all go to bed? What a great thing as a dad to be able to hear your kids ask that question. James 1.12 says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Abraham stood steadfast under trial. God called him to do something extraordinary because he was testing his faith. This life we live is difficult. Our faith is going to be tested time and time again. Does your family see you leaning back into your faith? Or do they see you leaning back into something else? It's a good question to reflect on. It's a good question for all of us to think about. How is my legacy being played out by my authenticity when it comes to my faith? We need to be authentic with our faith. Point number two is we need to cultivate a faith culture. If we back up just one verse from the verse that I read in Genesis, we go back to Genesis 22, we get a really accurate picture starting in verse 8 of this test that God is putting on Abraham. And this, this conversation that Abraham is forced to have with his son Isaac. 22, starting in verse 8, Abraham says, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Isaac had asked Abraham, where is our offering? And Abraham says, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. There's a conversation happening between Abraham and Isaac. 
Hebrews 11.19 gives us a window into the thinking. You know, we ask, how could Abraham do this? And this verse gives us just a little snapshot of what Abraham was thinking during this time because it says, he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. You know, it's showing that Abraham did this by faith and he had probably already thought out a bunch of different scenarios of how this would go down. But he considered the fact that if he leaned back into his faith, God would still provide for him. And as Abraham has this conversation with his son Isaac, as they're walking along, Abraham speaks in confidence to his son. He considers all the options, even though he can't see the outcome. He can't see the future. He considers those things, but he speaks in confidence about trusting God. And he's teaching Isaac a lesson. He's teaching him a lesson about faith. Isaac is getting a faith lesson in this moment. I often wonder what was the conversation like on the way home from that event. You know, hearing Isaac say, yeah, dad, what was going on back there? It seemed kind of crazy there. You're throwing me up on top of that pile and everything. What was that conversation like? It was a conversation about faith. Abraham's legacy is being played out with his family. When I was thinking about this and preparing for this message, I saw an illustration that I really liked. And if we draw a big circle, they'll put a circle up on the screen behind me. But if we have a big circle and we write the word faith right in the middle of it, that's what's supposed to be at the center, our faith. And all the other circles that go around that circle or the other things in life, it could be work, it could be sports, it could be friendship, it could be social media stuff, it could be uh, the Mandalorian TV show, whatever you're into. You can put it all around the outer circle. It could be any of those things. But all of those things will always compete for the center. I learned this lesson pretty hard on uh, early on when I was in camping ministry because in camping ministry over the summer, it would get very intense. And you know, you're there, you're, you're there to serve the Lord. It was a Christian camp and we were leading kids to Christ. But our days would go very long. They would go 18 hours, sometimes even longer than that. Sometimes we'd work 20-hour days in camping ministry. And it would be six days a week or seven days a week and, and we're just going and going and going. And what I learned really quickly is that even though I was in ministry and even though I was pursuing God, work was pushing faith out of the center. My actual ministry work was pushing my faith out of the center. And if we're not careful, there are so many things in life that will try to push faith out of the center. Listen to this statement. Everything competes for the center. Everything in your life Everything in my life competes for that center position. We're supposed to have faith in the center. As people who have accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, our faith is at the center of our lives. It's our legacy to have faith there. And when anything else pushes its way into the center, we're leaning back onto the wrong things. And we can do this very well-intentioned and saying, well, look at the missions work I'm doing or look at the work that I'm doing serving the Lord. Even doing service projects can push faith out of the center because we're doing more doing than we are faith. We need to keep the main thing the main thing. When we talked about some of the fallen leaders in the beginning, I can't help but think that what happened to them was something else pushed its way into the center. And when it did, they became vulnerable. 
This is why we need small groups. This is why we need community groups, and we need band of brothers, and we need women's Bible studies, and we need youth group, and we need Sunday school, and we need grief ministry groups, and we need other groups here. Because just like that verse said in the beginning, Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. We need to have accountability. We need to have a place where we can go to and confess to a brother and sister in Christ. Something else is pushing faith out of my center. And I covet your prayers to help get faith back into the center of my life. You know, I've never met an older person who said, I really wished I would have put in more overtime and spent more overtime in the office. It's always the opposite. I've always heard, I wish I would have spent more time at home with my family. And you know, I've never met a troubled teen or a young person that said, you know, I really wish my family would have ignored me more. I really wish that my mom and dad wouldn't have spent any time with me or my mom or my dad or my grandparent or whoever. It's always the opposite. Faith needs to be back at the center. The culture of faith is critical to the legacy that we leave. We need to cultivate a faith culture in our lives. When Pastor Dave came out and read those verses in Deuteronomy, we get the picture of Moses who is standing before the children of Israel. And God says to Moses, Moses, I'm going to give you some words that I want you to say to the nation of Israel because these things are really critical. And if they're going to be a culture of faith that follows me, they need to understand these things. And in Deuteronomy 6, 5 through 9, he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and all of your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Where? In the center. In the center circle. Moses, tell the Israelites, this is supposed to be at the center, to love God with all your heart, with all your might. Verse 7, it says, You shall teach them diligently to who? Your children. You shall talk to them when you sit in the house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Moses is challenging the nation of Israel. He's saying, Listen, not only should this be at the center of your life, should faith be at the center. You need to work hard at teaching it to your children, to your families, to those around you. In other words, you need to cultivate a culture of faith in your life. Our faith needs to be authentic, and we need to also cultivate a culture of faith in our lives, in our families, in the people that we come in contact with. Point number three is we need to continue the conversation of faith. Hebrews eleven twenty through 21 gives us a little window into the legacy of Abraham. Starting in verse 20, it says, By faith Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. And by faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. See this boy Isaac that Abraham is giving this faith lesson to. Isaac grows up. Isaac gets married. Isaac has kids. And his kids, Jacob, and his kids, Esau, he has these children, and he blesses them. And he shows them that he has faith. And then Jacob, while he's dying, blesses Joseph and his other children. And out of that, we see the 12 tribes of Israel come out because he also led a life of faith. And we see Abraham's legacy 
with his kids and their kids and their kids and their grandkids all the way up to Hebrews 11, all the way to today. There's a legacy there. There's a conversation about the faith of Abraham that continues in 2021 from the book of Genesis. There's a legacy there. There's a conversation that continued. The door didn't close. Because of one man's conversation or because of one man's faith, the conversation never stopped. And it goes on today. When we look back in Genesis 16, again, I love referring back to Genesis because we see what the original commitment was. And this conversation between Abram and the Lord, we get this window of what God promised to him and how his faith carries on. In Genesis 17, 1 through 6, it says, When Abram was 99 years old, 99, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. And Abram fell face down and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. This is the promise that God makes to Abram when he is 99 years old. It tells us how important it is to keep the conversation of faith going no matter what age you are. Joy and I have some very dear friends, uh, Frank and Elaine, that we met in camping ministry years ago. And the thing that I have always admired about Frank and Elaine by God's mercy and grace, they were able to adopt two terrific kids, and I've always loved the way that they have raised their family. And the way that they have raised their, their family, they have raised their family in a way that the conversation is never closed. And I've heard my, my, my friend Frank say to his kids, we're not done talking about this. We're probably going to talk about this later. We're probably going to pray about it tonight. In fact, we're going to talk about this tomorrow. We may talk about this for a couple more days this week. I may call some other people and talk to some other people about this and get their advice. And we may be talking about this weeks from now. But until you get the point, we're going to keep talking about this. See, Frank and Elaine keep the conversation open. They're going to keep circling back to the same issue over and over and over again until the point is made in their family unit we're not going to do this. We're not going to act like this. We're not going to say these things. We're not going to show love in this way. We're going to show love in a way that honors God. And they keep the conversation open, not because they're trying to be exhausting parents, but because they're trying to teach their kids when you cultivate a culture of faith, you can't close the door. You got to keep talking about it. I love how they've purposely organized their family in this way. The circling back over and over again. And I'm reminded in Galatians, Galatians 6, 9, it says, let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. You know, in our families, it can be real easy to grow weary of doing good and grow weary of having the same conversations. But scripture promises us that in due season we'll reap if we do not give up. In short, we need to keep circling back and keep the conversation open. See, legacy faith takes effort. 
It requires us to keep the main thing the main thing. It requires us to keep faith at the center. And whether you're here, if you're a parent, if you're a guardian, if you're a single mom, if you're a single dad, if you're a grandparent raising kids, whatever you are, keep at it. Don't give up. Don't grow weary in doing good. And if you're here and you're a young person, keep at it. Even though you're young, your faith can be amazing influence to someone else. When you put faith at the forefront and you're an example to others in your speech, in your conduct, in your love, in your faith, in your purity. Young people, when you do that, you are an example to others and you can do great things with the legacy of your faith. And if you're here and you're single and you say, what does this all have to do with me? I don't have kids. I don't have a family. It's just me. I want to remind you that the Apostle Paul says, I wish you could all be single like me. In 1 Corinthians 7, 7, he says, you know, the Apostle Paul had a very abundant life carrying out God's purpose and plan for his life. Even though he was single, he was used in a powerful way. He has 13 books that he wrote in the New Testament out of the 27 books. And Paul's legacy continues today. As a single man, he lived an abundant life that God used in a powerful way. No matter what your position is here, God has called you to have a legacy faith that will influence others. We need to keep at it. Stay authentic with your faith. Cultivate a culture of faith and keep the conversation going. Let's pray. God, we come before you, and as we've studied through legacy faith, God, it's a challenge for all of us. It's a challenge for me. It's a challenge for my church family, for my friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ. God, we are imperfect people. We don't do things right all the time. We don't say things right. Sometimes we treat people poorly, and and if we're going to be an example to others, we need to have faith at that center circle. God, I pray for everybody here as we sit here in this service right now. Help us just to think, what are those little circles that are pushing their way into the center? God, help us to push them back out and keep faith at the center so that we can have a legacy that goes on and on and on and honors you for what you have done for us. We pray this in your name. Amen.